Welcome to the MSE Moments That Matter podcast series. I'm Claire Hankey, Director of Communications and Engagement across the Integrated Care System in Mid and South Essex. Along with my guests, we'll be looking at the challenges and successes of delivering integrated care for our communities. So sit back, relax and join us as we explore the MSE Moments That Matter. Today's episode looks at why we need to take a more preventative approach to health and care in Mid and South Essex. In the studio with me is Alison Ansell, who is Director of Adult Social Care in Mid-Essex and works for Essex County Council. She's been a social worker for more than 26 years and is also the Principal Social Worker for Adult Social Care in Essex. Joining us remotely is Dr Pete Scolding, who is an acute medical doctor by background and has worked in Mid and South Essex for two years, initially as a Senior Fellow and now as Assistant Medical Director. It's in this role he works as a System Senior Responsible Officer for Prevention. Okay, so we're here today talking a bit about preventative care uh, across our health and care system in Mid and South Essex. Um, Alison, could you just start by telling us a little bit about your background and and what brought you to kind of social care? Yeah, of course. So um, I've been a social worker for 26 years, Claire. So I'm one of those people who became a newly qualified social worker, joined the local authority and have had so many opportunities across Essex and with different user groups that I've never left. Um, I joined social care after... My, my parents really um, being involved in in care work and 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 things so it, it brought me into looking after people doing care work myself and then training to to be a qualified social worker excellent and so over 26 years you must have had a great deal of experience and a great deal of different interesting avenues that that's taken you along yeah so so many opportunities so many stories um, and the absolute privilege to be involved in so many different people's lives and yeah, their stories. I should imagine, I should imagine. And in terms of kind of integrated care and bringing things like social care and, and health services and, and, and working in greater partnership, how does how, how's that kind of been for you over the last few years in, in that role? Yeah, so I was very fortunate. I um, started my career in mental health. So mental health have always had quite a lot of integrated working. So my first team manager post was as an integrated team manager of a community mental health team so that really framed my belief that we did our best work yeah when we worked together um at the people who we work with they don't really care whether it's a a nurse a social worker an occupational therapist physio coming through the door as long as we can support them and they can get what they need from us we do our best work when we work together I think yeah great thank you and Pete bringing you in here obviously um as a doctor uh you're your training and your background is in, you know, kind of supporting people at the, at the more acute end of, of illness. So how have, you, how have you got involved in kind of taking this more preventative approach? Yeah, so I'd say um, I've been in, I was thinking the other day, um, I've been in the NHS for about 16 years. So my first job was in my local cottage hospital as a, as a cleaner. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, 16 years on, I've kind of been through medical school, worked and trained as a doctor um and like probably most doctors now i've taken various breaks in between the training years one of those i i went and worked in south africa um for for a while and um during that uh, whilst i was in south africa and and when i have come back and um, worked in the nhs since then it kind of gets you more aware of all the stuff that happens around healthcare. you know kind of start off with that focus on patient in front of you in a, in a hospital. Um, but then uh, you, you become aware of all the, the things which go to, to 
um, affect people's health around that. So I took a step sideways and worked for NHS England um, during the first wave of the, the pandemic. Um, and then I've worked in Essex for the last two years and, and um, I've started working on prevention in the last year and really becoming kind of interested in, in that time. Great. Thanks, Pete. So, so what is it about prevention you think is important? Why, why do we need to take much more of a preventative pro- approach at the moment? Um, so I, I think the way that I'd, I'd um, answer that is just a very quick game of kind of would you rather. So, um, you know, would you rather have a heart attack and we treat you really well for it in, you know, Basildon Cardiothoracic Centre or wherever else it might be, or would you rather not have a heart attack? And, you know, we prevent it. And if you put it in those terms, it's kind of a, you know, it's a no-brainer what most people would um, would rather choose. Um, so from an individual kind of standpoint, the importance of prevention, you know, is really clear in, in that sense. Um, and then, you know, the three of us, we, we work in health and care system. Um, and there's a study five years ago which showed that if you invest one pound um, uh, in public health and preventative measures, you get fourteen pounds back to the wider health and care economy. So, you know, from our perspective, in terms of trying to um, uh, have an impact on people's health, it's a really good use of um, the resources that we've got as well. So, you know, um, on all those fronts, really, it's, yeah. it's important. I mean, you make it sound like it's quite an easy thing to achieve, but we know it, it, it's obviously not. So, Alison, why do you why do you why do you think it's so difficult to to really kind of drive the prevention approach? Um, do, do you think we've all become a bit too used to kind of relying on services and things like that? I think there's a real risk, isn't there, of becoming service led and and stopping and pausing and going back to what people really want. So, prevention for me is all really about personalisation and people being independent. A bit like um, Pete said, what would you rather? Um, What would we rather? We would want to be at home. We'd want to be independent. We'd want to be supported by the people that we would like support by. And all of those things can be more difficult because of the complexity and fragmentation of our approaches. So my thought is we often just need to sit back and reflect and start with the individual, their network, their family, their communities. And and that then takes us into a different place and a different conversation, which really talks about their strengths. And I think we've we've at times become quite asset driven. Um, you know, and, and we need to be more asset driven um, we, we often look at people's deficits yeah um, when they might come to clinics or come for an assessment with social care where actually if we start with their strengths we can be really surprised yeah and they can be really surprised about what opportunities there are I think that's an approach really that, that the local authorities have kind of led on um, quite a bit taking that asset-based strength around and it's something that, that health is, is kind of starting to wake up to a bit more rather than being kind of so medically focused do you think that's true Pete do you think um, we're, we're kind of following the the, the the curve of the local authorities in terms of that asset-based approach I, I just to start from a kind of purely personal perspective I'd say absolutely that's kind of true you know I think since I started working on prevention more closely you know just individually um, you know it's been a real journey for me to um, start from my very kind of medically focused model of understanding um, you know someone's health and and care to um, you know all that Alice is talking about in terms of asset-based approach and and once you start to get to grips and understand that, 
you, you can start to see it's working its way through into the way that health services um, uh, you know, are provided by the NHS as well. But I think um, you know, now that we're working as an integrated care system, there's still you know, a, a lot of scope for um, changing the way that we work together to, to have more of that asset-based approach kind of embedded across all of, of what we do. So, yeah, I, I think it is coming in, but um, there's quite a way still to go probably. Yeah, and do you think, is there kind of a simple way of kind of looking at what what, what prevention is? Because it, it's a bit of a catch-all term, isn't it? I think sometimes we think about prevention is just around, you know, healthy eating, stop smoking and stuff, but actually there's a lot more to it and there's risk stratification, making sure people aren't becoming iller before, you know, uh, get, getting to them almost or supporting them before they get to that point of, of needing hospital admission. So is there kind of, is there a way that we can kind of talk about prevention that, that's a bit more of a catch-all so that people really understand what it is we mean? Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, definitely. And, and I kind of talk about it in terms of um, upstream, downstream. And the, the downstream is um, when people have established problems, um, you know, that tends to be where we start and focus in um, healthcare services because that's when people really need healthcare. So when they've had a, a heart attack, when they've had a stroke or whatever it is, that's the kind of um, uh, downstream. And Prevention is all about trying to, as you say, go take that um, step further and further upstream. So if you go right the way upstream, kind of thinking about primary prevention, how do we create the environments where people can live in a healthy way, where um, healthy behaviours are just easy and obvious for them to um, be able to, um, to to do so? You know, things like um uh, the smoking ban, for instance, is a kind of classic example of primary prevention, um, really strong influence on people's behaviour in terms of smoking, and that's really kind of far upstream. And then taking those steps um, close, um, you know, downstream in terms of early identification, how do we pick up when people are just starting to develop a, a problem, high blood pressure, for instance. Um, and then once we pick that up, how do we intervene early um, and, uh, you know, wrap our services around them to make sure they've got the right kind of early treatment and support so that their blood pressure is under control and they don't kind of develop those downstream problems and, and um, you know, don't need our services. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And, and Alison, from your kind of experience, how, how, does, how does a kind of preventative approach manifest itself in, in terms of kind of that broad spectrum of, of support that's available? Yeah, so I recognise what what Pete's been talking about there and I think if we can do more of that together that really helps us so loneliness has a big factor yep. for people for example and there are often things we haven't necessarily focused on but but we could do that um with people I suppose the phrase I often use is let's focus on what's strong rather than what's wrong and if we can give people the right information advice guidance and then make those connections in their localities and then in the places that they call home I think we can start to make a real difference um, from a prevention perspective, often people, um, they know the lady in Tesco's, they know the, the, the man in the butchers, they know the, the person in the bank. It's making those connections for people so that, so that they've got those themselves and can take control of them. I think the other opportunity we've really got, and, and Pete alluded to this, is technology. Yeah. Um, so technology gives us a massive um, opportunity to be able to support people really early on um, alongside their families and, and 
their networks in a way that we couldn't have done previously. You would always ha- have had to have done a home visit. Yeah, yeah. For example, now being able to have some remote connectivity with people to either monitor their conditions or just to check in to see how they are I think gives us a real opportunity for people to maintain that independence really well yeah and and what's what's kind of been the the feedback and uh, of people that have kind of experienced this new way this new approach of supporting them in that way yeah it's it's interesting isn't it so I'll give a personal experience I always find it a bit difficult when I go to the GP and I might be expecting some tablets and they tell me to sleep more and drink more water um but actually that is the right advice um so people I think it is a change for people particularly it's about us making sure that they've got that information advice guidance up right up front yeah so they can explore things themselves then they understand what to expect from either a clinic or an assessment or an intervention with us when people know what to expect actually it's much easier to then have that different conversation yeah and you you've got some experience there Pete haven't you through the um, blood pressure at home um, scheme that's been working across mid and south Essex in terms of encouraging people to, to kind of take control of taking their own blood pressure readings rather than having to go to a clinic or a doctor's surgery or some, somewhere medical, um, that actually by supporting them with technology at home, they've been able to, to monitor their own care. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it kind of picks up on what Alison says in terms of, you know, it brings us some technology and I think it's a really good illustration potentially of the potential of... Um, you know, integrated care systems that, that we're in now. So it's that partnership between um, the NHS at a kind of system level, but then also local knowledge that sits in the local authorities and their public health teams and local kind of community leaders and um, local communities in terms of um, uh, telling us where we should be targeting some of this stuff and, and um, how to reach people. And the Blood Pressure at Home program is all about... Um, uh, sending out blood pressure cuffs so that people can check their blood pressure at home without having to do what they would have had to do previously in terms of coming into a healthcare setting, you know, GP surgery or community pharmacy or wherever it might be. Um, And so far in the last kind of 18 months, um, we've got about 50,000 people across Mid and South Essex um, have been able to check their blood pressure um, through this program. So we're one of the national kind of, exemplars there um and that's resulted in so obviously not everyone's got high blood pressure which is the the good news but um it has resulted in uh 1500 people having um their their medications reviewed so they might have been on some medication for blood pressure and it's not working um we picked up that actually 900 people out of those 50,000 900 people had diabetes and didn't know so there's a real chance to um you know, help and support them uh, at an early stage before they've um, gone on to develop problems. Um, and 130 people have gone into hospital. Um, you, you know, they had blood pressure to the extent that, um, you know, they've needed to, to go into a hospital setting. And again, that because we picked it up, it, it's meant we've been able to kind of catch it earlier before they've developed a, you know, a really serious problem. So, you know, I think um, in terms of prevention and the potential of system working is it's quite a good example yeah no that that's amazing that that, yeah, that really does show the power of prevention there that you can you know absolutely pinpoint down to the smallest numbers that need support but actually all of that is, is somebody's life that's been either saved or or you know or supported or or you know their health has been improved because of, of what we've done so that's that's an that's an amazing achievement 
So Alison, I think you've got an example as well of work that we've been doing in the Denji. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I'm so proud of, of everyone in the Denji for the work they're doing. It's a really great example of health, social care, local authorities, voluntary sectors and local people coming together um, and really making a difference for their local population. It's all about focusing on helping people's neighbours, keeping things local and making a real difference in people's lives. So for me, that Denji type work and model, which I'd be more than happy to share across to, to everyone who's interested, yeah. um, is a fantastic example of, of proactive as well as preventative work and, and re- fundamentally just great multidisciplinary working for yeah. the benefit of the adults that we all support. Great, thank you. Obviously, to do all of this, we were talking a bit about the expectation for the public or for, for residents, you know, in terms of different and new ways of approaching this. But how do we kind of support our workforce? Because it's actually a very different model that we're used to, actually. Often we are have been a very service-led um, kind of system in, in terms of um, the provision of care. For, and when I talk about care, I mean in, in the kind of the widest sense. Alison, what, what, what can we do for our teams to help them to understand what why? why this change needs to happen and, and, and what they need and what, how they can be part of it. So I love stories. Claire. <laughs> I love being able to share um, stories with people because then it becomes real, doesn't it? Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, if we talk about a gym, we all know a gym who yeah, we've yeah. worked with and, and that can make a real difference. I think the advice I give as well is to just be curious at all times with people and, and we have to learn to work with uncertainty. Yeah. This is all about positive risk-taking as well. So what's really important is that we wrap around good supervision, good multidisciplinary team discussions and working around that, and really good leadership. And I think if we've got those together, we can actually um, take more risks with the, with the person at the centre. Um, I'm sure in the past pe- people would have gone, oh, you couldn't possibly do a, a remote clinic that looks at blood pressure. So... Yeah. You know, there's lot. It just feels like there's so many more opportunities to do that. Learning what's gone well, um, and and trying and and yeah. you know working positively together. And I think there's something about sharing our experiences because you know you've got the NHS, you've got local authority, you've got the voluntary and community sector, and that's what integrated care is all about. Bringing those organisations together, where perhaps traditionally we haven't shared the insight and knowledge and learning that we've got. So I think there's a real opportunity there, isn't there, for for, for for us to kind of grow together and, and learn all these things. Um, f- from your point of view, Pete, what, what do you think we need to do for, for kind of supporting staff to, to adopt a more preventative approach in their practice? Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, Alison's point about being curious, it, it, you know, that's, that's the perfect starting point. Um, so, you know, just very simply... Think about it. Talk about it. Get get prevention and kind of moving upstream. How can we have a stronger preventative impact in which a bit of our health and care system that you're working in? Um, that that's a great place to start. Um, the other thing that um, you know is a really strong element um, and can kind of you whoever you are, if you're you've got um, any kind of contact with our patients, our residents in in a service that you can use practically is probably. Um, the MEC resource, so the making every contact count approach. Yeah. Um, and so a practical thing I'd, I'd point to is it, it's called the, the, the website is MEC link, M-E-C-C link. Um, you can download kind of a, a version of it to your phone. And for the east of England, you select your, your region on it. It's then got, um, you know, about 10, 20 different topics, um, you know, everything from, um, frailty to healthy diet and weight to mental well-being 
substance misuse, suicide prevention. You know, it's, it's basically got um, all those difficult topics and a very simple structure of um, ask, assist, advise. Um, so whoever you are, you can have a kind of 30-second, two-minute conversation with somebody about any of those issues, just, you know, a very kind of simple level um, to help kind of um, guide you through that uh, if you're a staff member. So I'd say have a look at that website and just think, you know, if you've got an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who comes to see you about any of these things, then try it out. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Thanks, Pete. Um, Alison, what do you think are the barriers sometimes to taking a preventative approach? Um, I think sometimes it can take longer. I think sometimes we don't see a ready outcome. So um, it can be harder for us to to measure what we're doing. It often takes a much longer time yeah. um, to, to work preventatively before you see that outcome. And I think we've worked in a time where it, we've needed to see outcomes in order to get funding and, yeah, yeah. and, and develop approaches. So I think that's one of the... The barriers. I think the other bit is um, we, it's easier sometimes to just work in our silos. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we know it's not the right thing to do. Um, so it's making sure that we invest the time and the effort. And, and that neighbourhood working, I think, really brings us those opportunities. Yeah. Um, when you start to, to sit down and look at a person's network, particularly and when they've got a domiciliary carer or they might be in a residential setting or, or attend a day service, those people know so much yeah, about yeah. that adult and yeah, their, yeah. their strengths. Just taking the time, as Pete said, to just take a few minutes to to think and, and plan how to have a different conversation is time well spent. But I think it's been a barrier to us in the past. You know, yeah, we, yeah. We, we've had different referral approaches. In the past, we haven't actually known who, who we're all working with. So I think our ICS working and our alliance working really brings us opportunities yeah. to come closer together holds the key to unlock kind of the, the, the power of that and uh, um, what about uh, for you Pete what, what do you think some, some of the barriers potentially are I know we've we've talked before about uh, you know kind of funding and, and investment into kind of prevention is it's, it's sometimes the easy easy cut I think when when times are tough and, and money's tight exactly exactly Claire and so I very similar to Alison I think you know just to go back to that question you know the would you rather at the beginning, um, you know, probably everyone would rather not have a heart attack, but then, you know, as Anderson is saying, it's kind of very intangible. If you haven't had it, you haven't had it, you know, you, you can't, you haven't got something you can point to or something you can hold. So it, it can be difficult um, to illustrate success of a preventative approach that you've invested in or um, that, that's going on at the moment because stuff hasn't happened. So there's that kind of intangible part of it which is kind of um you know quite challenging the other part again Alison I think mentioned it it's just that um complexity in terms of prevention um you know the stuff that we've done that we've kind of achieved in terms of prevention you know you look at things like vaccination really successful but relative to the kind of challenges we're talking about now you know it's a jab and then you're protected for life kind of thing so what we're left with now, uh, in terms of our priorities, we're looking at things, you know, things like um, uh, weight, uh, habits around smoking and alcohol and lifestyle choices. They're really complex things. Um, you know, if you look at obesity, there's the the foresight map. 110 different reasons why people kind of get locked into that cycle of more energy in there than energy out, and if 
if we're in um, our, our health and care services, that kind of 20th century model of bringing in a service and just rolling it out, um, you know, to everybody in the same way, it, it's not going to work yeah. when there's all those different reasons why um, th- these things are, are going on. So engaging with that complexity, the answer has to be working together mm-hmm. in terms of health and care services and working with people um starting with their strengths but it, it's it's harder probably uh, because of that complexity yeah and bringing in something Alison said earlier about it, actually it, it 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 entails a more personalized approach and actually looking at a person as a whole person rather than either just the condition they've got or or the or the difficulty or the social uh, factors that, that are going on in their life actually all of that is is, is a contributory factor to, to their kind of health and well-being how how what, what kind of advice can you give to people to to you know, perhaps they want to make a change. They found it hard in the past. You know, um, what if, if we th- if we think the change starts with the person? How do we encourage them to 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 to, to, to take that change for themselves? Um, I think there's a there's a few things. Um, so, firstly, I'd say you know, go out and look at um, what what um, options are available in terms of support because that's a good place to start. Yeah. Whether it's you know, you want to stop smoking or you want to go for a particular diet you want to you know um pick up some exercise you know that you haven't done before so go out and see what options are available um and probably the second thing is see who you can join to to do it with you because you know it's always easier to do something when you've got support and you're doing with someone else so probably those are the two places i'd start is um see what's around you what you can do what you can get involved with and see who you could who you can reach out and kind of connect with and, and do it with and we'll do it with you great thanks and Alison from from a kind of adult social care point of view how how can we support people to maintain their independence you know you talked about loneliness earlier and actually that that is one of the biggest challenges isn't it in a, in a kind of social setting um for, for supporting people and, and that can be really tough and difficult to to, to tackle particularly if you're you, you know if you're the person at the center of that how, how do you even start to, to kind of reach out yeah so I think um I'd always start with us giving people information to help yeah. themselves. We, in the absence of information, it's really difficult to know where to start, as, as Pete's just said. And if people need a little more help, there's a lot going on in their communities. So often, if you look on the community board in Costa, in Tesco's, in places where people go every day, there's lots of different groups and clubs and activities. Our voluntary services are just amazing. Yeah. And second to none in Mid and South Essex in particular. Um, so they're a great place to start as well I know um when when I contacted VCS there was something like 142 clubs and groups wow that people could join yeah. for all different sorts of interests yeah, and, yeah. and hobbies and it might not feel that that's going to help their health and well-being but actually it will if you're doing something you love yeah, yeah. and you're connected with other people that's a really great place to start I think um to support your well-being which will then have a knock-on implication on your your health benefits yeah excellent okay and so we've talked quite a lot about um taking this preventative approach across our system and you know there is loads of examples of good stuff going on and, and good work in place what, what does our ambition need to be going forward Alison oh <laughs> um so I think our ambition has to be where we identify the real power of possibilities that we don't take away funding as an easy yeah as an easy option but actually in the same way as we're asking our our workforce to hold that uncertainty and that positive risk taking that we do that as leaders and organizations because otherwise we won't invest in a preventative approach in the way that that we need to because we'll be forever targeting services 
for people, which is, as Pete says, much more downstream when we need yeah. to be much more upstream with people. So I would say we've got to hold our nerve, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for you, Pete, that same same ask, really. What, what do you think our ambition needs to be? Yeah, I think holding our nerve is a great point, um, to, to be honest. So, um, And that applies in terms of... Um, you know, making the commitment to fund things. But then the, the bit I'd add maybe is, um, you know, we need to make that real effort at the start to do the kind of projection. If we bring this in, what does that mean in terms of um, the, the stuff that we'd, the impact we think expected to have? So just, just to give an example of that, um, you know, we're looking to bring in the proactive care framework, which works in primary care settings, um, so GP surgeries and local pharmacies and so on, um, and looks to have an impact in terms of supporting people with their blood pressure uh, and their cholesterol and irregular heart uh, uh, rhythm. Um, and if we bring that in in the way that we want to, the impact that we could have in terms of picking people up early, um, supporting them, making sure they've got the right treatment for those things, um, is over... I think it's three years, we could uh, prevent uh, up to about 120 heart attacks, 150 strokes. So it's been really clear, um, you know, as clear as we possibly can be, about what the expected benefits are and then um, making sure that, you know, we follow through or, and deliver it in the way that we want to and then kind of, you know, what we are talking about earlier, it, it can be really intangible. So um, having that expected benefit if we've delivered that then being clear that's the impact that we've had so I, I think our ambition has to be um carrying on with uh, these important preventative um you know work that we're doing and then being confident about saying you know this is the difference that we've made yeah yeah and, and actually it uh, goes back to Alison's point about telling the stories doesn't it Telling the stories of where we've made that difference and what it's meant to people I think we'll only start to build that movement around kind of taking a preventative approach it's been really great to talk about um, all the great work that's going on. And for me, you know, that's what integrated care systems are all about. We've spent quite a lot of time looking at the architecture of integrated care. But but really, when, when we look at these approaches and the difference that it makes to people, people's lives and, and, and how we work with our people and communities, for me, that's really what integrated care really needs to be all about. So thank you very much, Alison and Pete, for your time today. It's been great talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Look out for the next episode when we explore more MSE, Moments That Matter.